Welcome to QuickCast on Drones and Construction. My co-host Dave Bowers geeked out when I gave him the opportunity to talk about drones. Dave teaches drones along with hazmat drilling and many other applications at the Union Training Program in Wilmington, Illinois. Jake Fletcher pipes in about how drones can be used in military construction applications. I hope you enjoy this bonus footage. It was a lot of fun to discuss. Thanks. Jake, when you were in the academy, you know, learning leadership, what was the split between greatest generation leaders and boomer leaders that you guys, like if you start thinking about your favorite leaders, because you talk a lot about leadership, where do they fall? Well, I mean, naturally, um, you know, first of all, I'm more biased towards the greatest generation because my grandfather was in that generation. He fought in World War II. Um, <clears throat> you know, he was the one who he never talked about his experiences, but he was the one who inspired me to join the military. You know, I saw the way that he lived his life and that inspired me to want to go do it. <clears throat> uh, I would say most of our, you know, the second year of your time in in ROTC is spent uh, studying the history of the Air Force. So you actually, the Air Force was born in 1947. So it was born, you know, right after World War II. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about Billy Mitchell, all these famous guys, Jimmy Doolittle, all these guys who were these hard chargers who came up with these ideas uh, that, you know, founded the Air Force. The Air Force was founded on a lot of last minute ideas that were that innovation that Dave talks about a lot of that stuff that they did during world war two was very, very much, Hey, we have a problem and we need to solve it. Now we don't have time to sit around and solve it. And have these guys uh, who were in the leadership roles who were from that generation that said, okay, this is how we're going to do it. You know, Jimmy Doolittle says, okay, we're going to take a bomber off of an aircraft carrier. And everybody's like, what, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Everybody said he was crazy. And then he made it happen because he, his leadership ability allowed him to inspire those pilots to do it. You know, you got to have, you got to be pretty ballsy to get into an airplane for the first time and try to take it off of an aircraft carrier, especially one that's that heavy. <clears throat> so I would say we spend, you know, a, a great deal of time talking about not only the greatest generation leaders who were the ones who founded the air force, um, but, you know, all the way back to the Wright brothers, the Wright brothers is, is really where the Air Force was born. You know, two guys on a beach in North Carolina flying a, for lack of better words, a paper airplane. Um, you know, there's a really famous picture that used to hang in our ROTC building, and it's, it's a timeline, but it's a picture of all these planes, right? And it starts with the Wright Brothers aircraft. And as it moves forward in time, it's like this big clump of aircraft that gets bigger. And it's super cool because uh, it was all born out of the greatest generation. And here we are over 70 years later uh, as the world dominant air force. What's wild is 1927 is when Georgie e. failing started the concept of a portable drill rig, you know, 1930, 33, 31 is when uh, there was available portable drill rigs, which is right along the same time as the commercial airplane. You know, when you look at technology and progression and it was, how do we, how do we become agile that we needed the air force because air superiority went from dogfights and, you know, some bomber missions to you either had the sky or you didn't. Yep. 
the sky is the high ground. I mean, you know, you think about all the wars before World War II, um, you know, especially like look at the Civil War, you know, everything in that war was about who had the higher point so they could shoot down on their enemy. The air is the dominant high ground. Right. Developing the portable drill rig in the middle of the 30s during the height of the Depression. I mean, just think about the 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 balls it takes to decide I have a solution for the problem. And remember, they were in the Dust Bowl at the same time then, which all led into all that. And the solution was, let's see how we can get water to these rural areas. So they had to develop something. But for for George failing to, to really uh, branch out and say, I think I can solve this problem uh, and then have that lead to the, the eventual Jeffco, it takes a, you know, it takes a lot of, a lot of gumption to say, you know what, this is going to cost me a lot of money and I'm not sure that there's anybody that can afford to buy one when I'm done with it, but we're going to try to solve this problem, right? Where the airplane had a lot of government behind it back at that time, the development of the airplane, because it was strategically uh, so important to, as Jake put it, hold the high ground, right? Where the drill rig did not have a ton of uh, government research and government money behind it on development, the portable drill rig. You know, what's, what's interesting is that when the aircraft first was uh, portrayed to the military, and this is, this is directly from our history that we studied in RTC, is the Army really didn't see the value in aircraft. You know, you look at World War I, and that's not a knock on the Army. It's just a new technology. They're like, what are we going to do with this, you know? Um, it's, you know, they present it to them and, and World War One, you can see the difference between the two wars is World War One was fought mostly on the ground, you know, and, and the army is like, what are we going to do with these airplanes? You know, there's, yeah, that's a neat idea, but we're going to take tanks and we're going to, you know, we're going to go at it on the ground. Well, all they really wanted to use them for, for World War One was reconnaissance so they could see what the new trenches look like. Yeah. Right? That's what they that's what their idea was. And then someone got the idea that they could drop a hand grenade out of the cockpit. That's how bombing started. Right. Yeah. That's all it was. They took a hand grenade. They dropped it out of the cockpit into a trench. And uniquely, Dave, you teach drilling. Yes. And you also teach drones, which is yeah. Just in the last couple of years. Uh, what are you about five years into teaching drones now? Uh the commercial part 107 license came on the line in 2016. So we're just shy right now of five years. It's four years and eight months. Our program, I started it um, about a year before that uh, in the hopes that that part 107, that when they when the FAA looked at all that, they were able to make a way that the average person goes before that. Drones existed, though drone work existed. Most of it was done by still by manned aircraft, and it mostly still is. But a lot of the drone work required you had to, well, get down in the weeds here a little bit, but it required that you have a at least sport pilot's license and then get an exemption from the FAA 
which was the first thing I did for our program was to apply for this exemption uh, and, and receive it. And uh, but then part 107 came out, which relieved some of that. But now uh, in 2020, they've just revamped all that stuff. So there, you're going to start seeing um, a huge uptick in drone usage because flights over people have been uh, where I have a, uh, for my program, we did have an exemption for flights over people with one certain drone in controlled environments that they would let us do it but they just opened up where flights over people can be conducted even over open air assemblies of people, which is the big thing. When you meet certain parameters, a thing called drone ID and some other things, uh, this is not a drone podcast, so I won't go too much, but we're going to see some of the things become more accessible to companies, right? Because I can inspect a drill rig, uh, or uh, a facility or a facade of a building or do survey work or do all these things with a drone in fraction of the time that it takes me to uh, do it by hand. And in a lot of cases, I can also get better data if I have the right piece of equipment. It's no, no different Safely. than drilling. Safely. Safely, right? And that's the, that's the key. And the, but I do like to, to remind people it's still aviation because a drone, when all the safety things and all the stabilization and GPS is good and you went through everything, it's really easy to fly. But when something goes wrong and it's not if, it's when, because it's, it's a computer, right? How, how often does your computer have a glitch? Uh, when something goes wrong, those things fall apart, and now we have to be a pilot. That's why it's really important to uh, maybe take some some classes. And uh, when you go to get your 107 or try to get a license, to try to make sure that you you uh, learn from somebody who have has an aviation background that can. Uh, Give you show you the same methodical way that you go through to check everything because you can't afford for something to go wrong. And most of the time, it's something somebody should have saw uh, beforehand when it does. And if somebody gets hurt, this is the last thing I'll talk about drones. I was at a thing in 2017 where uh, the acting director of the FAA was speaking and someone asked the question of how much insurance they should have on their drone program. And his, without batting an eye, he said $2 million minimum for liability. And he said, they were shocked. And he said, okay, let me, let me give you a scenario. You have a flyaway. It doesn't hit anybody, but it goes into a substation, knocks that substation out temporarily. But that substation was hooked to a nursing home and it was 112 degrees outside and three people die in that nursing home before they get power. Uh, you don't think because every drone has to be registered if it's greater than 0.55 pounds, you don't think they're going to trace that back. A good lawyer is going to trace that back to who caused it. And you're, you're not going to be on the hook for it. I guarantee you will be. So 
the FAA wants you to treat everything the way that you would treat uh, manned aviation. And so that's the point. Like, no different than the Army going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to get people flying. Like, mistakes are made, and gravity isn't an issue. We get out of the tank. We retreat. We we decide we huddle up and we decide a new plan of attack. And it's very, it's very cool, Dave, that you're teaching drilling that you can say, stop. Everybody can egress away from a job site. And then you teach, you know, flight where uh, now the technology has gotten to the point where we can press a button that says return to home. We hope, but there was a good time there. Well, there's a, hold on. Return to home means, did I set it up properly? What did I tell it return to home? Is it return to home at, uh, like in my case, I return to home at 350 feet above surface at all times. I have cranes in the way. Most people don't think about what's in the way. Or I know a lot of people who, because they didn't study beforehand and didn't look at things, and we can only fly to 400 feet without a, uh, or 400 feet above a structure without a um, waiver from the FAA. But when you say return to home, that's a straight line, my friend. Is there a tree in the way? Is there a tower in the way? Is there many drones on their return to home don't have avoidance? Some of the newer ones do have avoidance, most of them just in the front. And unless you've set it up so it returns home with the front facing the direction it's flying, it's not going to do it. Now, many, many of the newer, as you get more expensive, many of the more expensive drones do have uh, vision sensors, which is how it uses for, for obstacle avoidance. It can have obstacle avoidance in all directions, but um, it all comes down, do you understand what you have, right? Do you understand what you have? Do you set it up? It's no different than drilling. It's the same thing. I prepare for the geology I expect to encounter, but I have every single contingency that I feel could happen to me in that thing. I have to have planned for it and have on hand, to the best of my ability, a way to overcome that challenge. The same thing flying, I have to look at every contingency. Here's the mission. I have to have a mission first, right? Here's my mission. Here's the places I think that we could have issues. How many satellites do I have? What's the UV for that day? Am I going to get interference? Uh, what's in the way? And did I go up and manually measure whatever might be in the way? You know, fly the drone up manually and take a look at the highest thing and make sure return to home is above that. Do I have my... Uh, vision sensors calibrated? Is the compass properly calibrated? Is the IMU been uh, calibrated in the last few months? There's a million things. It's a computer, right? And if you methodically go through those things with a checklist and you look at that, it's it works, right? It works well and things still happen. You still have to be uh, manning the drone at all, even if it's doing an autonomous mission, I still have to have eyes on the drone at all times. And because if it, as soon as it varies from what I told it to do, I have to determine, do I need to take over and tell it to come back? So there's a, I, I know I kind of rambled on about this, but there are a ton of things that 
you really have to look at. It's just like drilling. Everything is about planning. And so when anytime you vor, uh, you venture into higher technology, you know, all it really is doing for us is it changes our planning. What do we plan for? But that being said, once you get a drone and you learn the planning steps, like anything, the time it takes to do all those millions of steps I talked about, it comes down to where now when I'm planning a flight, even in, a, in an area that I don't typically fly in, I can usually get that planning time down to between 20 and 40 minutes, depending on how complicated it is. And there's some uh, apps and some other things that help that. But, you know, I need to know what airspace I'm in. All, all those things, if I don't know that stuff, then it's no different than going in and blindly drilling without knowing the geology. And we didn't bring any, any uh, polymers and we didn't, you know, we're just going to drill it with, with water. Uh, you know, I'm not really prepared. I'm hoping for dumb luck. It'll work. It's the same thing when we go to any new technology. We have to change our planning to meet the technology that we've, we've started with. I know I took it over a little bit, so I'll let you I'll let see what Jake thinks about all that mess I just said. I, I, I did have, you know, it's interesting because, you know, in construction, drones are very um, they are up and coming. Like every company that I know that does construction or whatever kind of work is using drones for surveying. Uh, they're doing site surveys of just what work has gone on. Uh, and it's something that, you know, at Red Horse, we were looking into and we were going back and forth and arguing with the pilots. The pilots don't want to give us control over the ability to use a drone, but they want us to be able to survey faster. So, one of the core competencies of a civil engineer in the Air Force is if somebody attacks an airfield, <clears throat> they want us to, they are constantly trying to mitigate or minimize the time that it takes to open what they call a minimum operating strip. Um, and so, you know, we keep going back and having this argument, well, you know, if you would let us have a drone, have the ability to fly a drone, uh, then we could minimize that time frame and do that survey much quicker but you know it's having an argument with a pilot pilot doesn't think a civil engineer is smart enough to handle flying a drone that was how i always took it i was like so you're saying that we're smart enough to build the airfields that you fly on but we can't fly a, an aircraft that's you know however big to take a survey of it um well, you know other questions other questions that come up you know how much they, they come to you, they say, Captain, how much stockpile do we have? How much rock do we have in this pile? Well, I don't know. I can't take a, you know, if I had a drone, I could take a, a 3D survey of that and tell you exactly how much rock we have and how much I need to finish my job. Well, the I have a, I have a, a solution for that argument, by the way. The, the next time it comes up and say, you know, the Army is using them at squad level. So you're telling me that squad level guy is as smart as you are? Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, the Air Force is moving to a point where um, they're now beginning to allow enlisted members to move into the flying career field. You know, that's something that's been happening the last few years because the Army did it. Um, and the Air Force said, well, we need pilots. And why does someone need a bachelor's degree to be trained and to be an officer? Why do they have to be an officer to fly an aircraft? You know, if, we can train people that are competent. And uh, you know, what's surprising is 
the old way of thinking, since we're talking about generations today, a lot of the older leaders that are pilots in the Air Force, you know, are out of touch and don't realize that most of the enlisted members in the military are, have two, three degrees. Like they're very educated people, but they don't become officers because they enjoy the tactical level work that they do. So, you know, that's my two cents on the drone conversation. You know, I'm, I, I don't I'm, think Chuck Yeager had a four-year degree. He did not. That wasn't required for the Army Air Corps at that time. Right, right. You know, I was hoping you'd bring up the test pilots because those guys are the real, you know, uh, the right stuff, man. If you ever have time to sit down and watch that four-hour-long movie, since we're talking about generations again, the, the right stuff is you watch what those guys did. Those guys had some balls to climb into those aircraft. Yeah, so I want to get back on task. You asked the question. You let it. To I, I did, and it was wonderful content. If we shift from Georgie failing, having the balls to make a portable drill rig for sale, along with the other rig manufacturers at the time that saw the same thing, and having the balls to call his company failing 